0: To another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host. Recording Karen in progress. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show. Who are executive producers? Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic, and author of always good thing this book: a list of demonic names, a podcast, a pocket. Guide for the Paranormal Investigator, Exorcist, Psychic, and Metaphysical Practitioner. Check out that cover. I don't know if you've ever seen this on video, but I made the cover. (laughs) Also, executive producer Joseph Simkov, author of How to Kiss the Universe. Monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And this episode is being sponsored by tarotbyginger.com. That is www.tarotbyginger.com. And you'll meet my friend there. Her name is Ginger Glasser and she is a tarot reader. And I highly recommend you using her if you are looking to make any major decisions in your life or want some more insight into something that you can't understand. I always recommend talking to a tarot reader such as Ginger to help Take a better, get a broader perspective on things and go from there. You never have too much information. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Jason Hewitt. He has been on maybe two years ago, so a whole lot has changed since the last time we have talked. And we're going to talk a little bit about his new book and kind of go from there. Thanks for coming on, Jason. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Gary. It's great to be back after all this time that <laughs> went by very fast. <laughs> and we're both still at it. <laughs> I know. that In internet years, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, those people have been, By now, like thousands of people have already come and gone. <laughs> Here we still are. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: So, so what, what's the new book about?
2: Well, the new book, it's actually called Dying Light, an Investigation into Near-Death Experiences. And it's uh, my, myself and co-author Peter Wren put it together for Beyond the Fray Publishing, and it was kind of born out of an idea. We were doing interviews for our second book, because um, this was our third book now. Um, and the second book was kind of, we talked to various different paranormal investigators, because that's what right. Peter and I do, and shared their stories. Uh, and one of the, the people we were interviewing, Angela Artuso, who's a paranormal investigator out of New York City, mm-hmm. when she's telling her story, she had a near-death experience that that really just stood out. It was different from the ones you traditionally hear about, about you know the tunnel of light and you know, all the figures waiting for you and the telepathic communication. It was just really different, really dramatic, a bit frightening. And when we finished up, I was like, I called Peter right away because we're doing all, it was during COVID, so we're doing everything over Zoom, all of our interviews for the books. And I said, Peter, we got to write a book on near-death experiences. This is just like a fascinating topic. And Peter had had one of his own, too, during the process of getting a a liver transplant. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So we pitched it to Beyond the Fray. They like the idea we wrote the book started like just right before halloween last year and it came out uh, this past june and it's been very well received so that's kind of the gist of the book and it's literally like that it's an investigation mm-hmm. of near-death experiences we interviewed experiencers we interviewed a grief counselor we interviewed scientists you know we got the the, the skeptical point of view we got the, obviously the people that have been that have had these experiences that just believed them so strongly Tell a bit of my story, a bit of Peter's story, and it, it was—it was quite an experience to write it and, and put it
0: together. So, it's uh, out now at Amazon, and it's been pretty good. That's awesome. I will say near death experience is probably in my top five um, category of episodes I've had. Like I've done probably more of those than uh, probably you know straight, right up there with UFOs, you know. And one of the reasons I covered a lot too is because I've had my own near death experience. And I, I don't know if I've ever told you about it. I don't know what your friend's experience was. But, but mine was during a seizure. And mine was different too. Because mine, I was sort of like in this uh, a black hole almost. It was completely black. But there was colors moving around me. But the cool part was I was very, very aware. I was super conscious. Not like unconscious. I was super conscious. And I didn't feel any... Fear, desire, all the things that we feel living in a dualistic reality. I didn't have there, you know. And I I found out that there's even a name for that experience called the black light experience. Um, Yeah, what there's different
2: light experiences. mm -hmm. Like there's like a white light, a black light, and then there's I think it's like a almost transparent light kind of thing. Clear light, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So what experiences um, did your friend have, and which ones did you find most intriguing? Well, Angela's one,
2: she was in a, like a vehicle accident her vehicle was T-boned on the way into work. And so she was all like laying in the car, all broken up and the driver wasn't injured at all. And so the driver got out to go get help and she was in the car and she just knew if she closed her eyes, that was it. Like, you know what I mean? So she's awake. Well, this is happening. And then she looks over and she kind of describes him as this man in black, like not what the UFO man in black, but a guy just dressed in dark clothing, black leather jacket, Hmm porcelain white skin, black hair slicked right back, and black eyes, like the black-eyed children phenomenon, just sitting there, not looking at her, but just sitting in the car next to her and basically telling her, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And it's not telepathy. He's actually saying the words. And this man in black rode with her in the ambulance all the way to the hospital. And uh, at that point, he was even holding her hand, saying, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Um, And when she got to the hospital and they wheel her out of the back of the ambulance there's a doctor there like she looks around and like well where's where's the guy that was riding in the ambulance with me where's this man and they're they're like no that was just you and the paramedic and the driver and that was it wow so how did you define that
0: experience pardon me How, how how do you define that experience or like what do you think of that with your background in paranormal research what is your take on something like that it's, it's, it's like I've never heard of anything quite like that before. <laughs> you
2: know what I mean? Me like my, my realm's ghosts and stuff. I mean, could it have been a spirit? Sure. But the ghost then was holding her hand and could feel it, right? And they're mm-hmm. talking and the lips are moving. So was it like a guardian angel of hers maybe that, that that sort of manifested and was there to keep her calm? Was it something her brain cooked up just as a means of helping stay awake? I don't know, but it's very... It's just unique compared to anything else like that we heard in the book. And even what I've experienced investigating haunting, you know, hauntings yeah. and, and, and sites like that and people having spirit activity. It's very and the the figure himself sounds frightening to me. But yet yeah, was very benign. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's it was a very unique and I haven't heard anything since. But, like but I've much.
0: heard similar stories about figures like that appearing, people, you know, like the men in black, like you mentioned, but with the black eyes, like, like I've heard of this type of being. Um, one of the people that talked about it a little bit was, um, was Mike Ricksecker, the, okay. the, you know, the uh, shadow people guy. He talked a little bit about them. Which is, yeah, it was,
2: and it did, it did like, that's the first thing that went into my head was kind of like a shadow person or a mm-hmm. black eyed children. But this was a male, it was like not, you know, it was an adult, an yeah. adult male. Um, and with shadow people, there's usually more of a sense kind of of dread or, or, or something wrong. And that wasn't prevalent here, right? It was almost more calming and reassuring. So it's, it's very unique unless there's, I mean, obviously when it comes to the paranormal, we don't know everything. We know even a fraction of it. And what we know, we can't even say for certain. It's just, you're basing it on what people are, are, are reporting and describing to you. So who knows? There could be, you know, John Keel always talked about ultra terrestrials and and these different beings that interact with us to take on various shapes. There's lots of possibilities. If you believe in like the whole multiverse concept, maybe he popped in from somewhere else, right? Like you can just kind of, as far as your mind wants to go, you could come up with with explanations for who that was. Um, That's what I like about it. It it was such a unique, fascinating story. And at one point scary, at, at one point reassuring. And yeah. It was wild, and that's like that, that. story gave birth to the whole book and the whole reason want mm-hmm. to dive in more.
0: So, what were some of the other like, like the other experiences that you've heard, and what is your take on? It? Do you think that um, what people are experiencing when they have these near death experiences is actually real, or do you think it's just a manifestation of brain cells dying? See, initially, I was I was
2: definitely in the manifestation of brain cells dying camp. But while interviewing people, and one of the people we interviewed was Lynn Russell, and she's a researcher of near-death experiences. And she's gone over 2,500 cases uh, of near-death experiences. And, and what she came up with and told me, and then how that fit into the people that we interviewed, is that there's all, there, there's something happening here. And it's the, the all the experiences have things that are similar to them but they're also very subjective based on the person and their life experience and their religious beliefs or lack thereof. Right. Um, and a number of the stories, like Mary Helen Hensley, Scott Taylor, there's mm-hmm. another gentleman named Peter Panagore, all theirs were similar enough. Yes. I, and they to told them with such <laughs> conviction, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I couldn't say you're lying. Like I couldn't, I, I just could not. Um, they, it actually, they convinced me. Even though some of it gets pretty far out, like Scott's, you know, shared death experience, and when he goes over and talks about being on the other side, and then like the the life review center and all this mm-hmm. stuff, it sounds so far out there, but it also makes sense. Um, it does. It, it does. does. And so, and one thing that Peter Panagory was talking about in his story, where he he kind of goes to the other side and he meets the divine entity and says, "He you know, he's not ready to die yet, and he wants to go home, back to his life," and he kind of gets flicked back down this tunnel and there's all these tunnels opening up where he could choose kind of which life he wants to go to that mirrors an experience I had here in this house one night where I kind of went up to go to sleep and I went outside for a second because I was downstairs we had the fireplace going it was very warm went outside just to cool off a bit and as I'm getting ready for bed and I'm taking my contacts out and I'm putting my pajamas on I start to just feel really ill and really off and I went and I lied down in bed and literally it was just like that. This voice kind of said, it's like, you know what? You can go anywhere you want now. And like this tunnel opened up and it's like, you can pick a life where your father didn't die. You can pick a life where you married someone else, like this person instead of the woman you married. You can pick a life where you did this. It, the choice is up to yours. And it was so terrifying to me. Um, like, and I wasn't asleep. I was like wide awake when this happened. And I was sort of started shaking and I'm like grabbing my wife. Cause I'm thinking at this point, I'm going to die. This is what it felt like. I'm being given a choice. And she reached over and kind of touched me like what's wrong. And she's like, you're freezing. Like how did you go outside? How long are you outside? And I was outside maybe 30 seconds to a minute, but she thought I'd been outside for hours like, with no clothes on for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually the, the, sensation went away and I was fine and I was eventually able to fall asleep. But that was so mirrored what Peter was talking about, about coming back and being given a choice, um, I don't think I I was dying or had a near death experience but it just mirrored enough of one of them that I when I heard Peter describe that it was like an aha moment right. um but this phenomenon is definitely real and yeah. people are experiencing something
0: Would well, well, I talk to um who was it that did the shared death experience uh, Scott Taylor Scott yeah well, I had Scott and he was telling me about it like I, don't know, I kind of related it to like being with my parents when they passed away mm-hmm. you know like, I didn't have their shared experience, but I definitely felt the energy shift in the room as somebody was passing. Yeah, and and I felt that too, being around people who have
2: died. Like I was a crime reporter, and I've been to scenes like where there's been an accident, and the person dies right there, and there there is a shift in in how the place feels. If you go somewhere where someone has died, it doesn't even have to be recently, it feels different.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Place feels different, right? And that's we could attribute that as paranormal investigators to. When your body dies, the energy has to go somewhere. So maybe it goes into that or that spot right there. It goes into the magnetic field around that spot, and that's how hauntings happen. Right? Um, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating, you know, thing to be privy to, isn't it? Like just, it is, and to feel it.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know. After having that experience, it made me a little bit fascinated by it, not repulsed by it. Yeah, and
2: and that's one thing, like. It, like, with writing this book, it, it changed my view of death. <laughs> like really Like, it's not something to be scared of or to be repulsed by it. In, in our culture here in, in North America, we are terrified of the whole thought of dying. We spend our whole lives trying to avoid it as best we can and not talk about it, even calling, we don't call them funerals anymore. They're celebrations of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something to be scared of. And, and based on, like, you know, what you're describing in your experiences and mine and then interviewing the people it's just a transition stage to something else and some place that sounds pretty sweet to go
0: to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I believe that it is a transitionary thing and I don't think it's uh it's not the same for everybody. You know, I've had, um, also like PMH Atwater on my show and, you know, we talked a lot about how your death experiences is, is going to sort of be modeled after what you have learned and what you believe in this life to make the transition the easiest for the individual. So if a person is a Christian, they might see Jesus. If a person is another religion, like um, Muslim, they might see Allah or, you know, whatever. So it depends on your beliefs because the the transition, I think, is made to go as easy as possible on the person that has to have that experience, that goes through that transition. I don't think it's meant to be difficult. No, no.
2: And Mo, all of them do sound quite peaceful, even like like Mary Helen Hensley's describing hers, where she actually left her body. Like she was killed in a car accident. Yeah. She actually left her body and watched the accident happen. And she just said it was just like watching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And then you went somewhere else and everything was fine, right? And she came back. Um, and, and same with another, another gentleman, Paul Drake. His, his experience manifests itself that he was walking down a road and then there's this garden with a gate, that he couldn't really see through. And as he went to cross through the gate, his father appeared, who had died previously, and said, no, son, it's not your time yet. Go back. And he'd had a tumultuous relationship with his father, but that moment brought him peace in that relationship too. So it's, yeah, there's, there's nothing to be frightened of in that moment. And it will be. You wouldn't When it's your turn or my turn, we're going to have very, probably different enough experiences, but it's tailored to us um, to make it, as easy as possible, because it it would have to be shocking. I mean, it's going to be shocking anyways to suddenly go like, wait a minute, Like this is it, this is happening.
0: What was weird for me, though, during my near-death experience was coming back, too. Coming back into the body and into this reality is really strange. It, It feels unnatural. Once you've been on the other side and you come back, some of this seems unnatural now. And... I've, and I've, a lot of people I've interviewed who have had the near death experiences say the same thing that afterwards, it's just never quite the same. No, and it, it is a
2: a few of them spoke of it being much of a transitionary period when they're back. It took time to kind of accept being back. And he, one of them even said they couldn't stand the smell of their body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, it stunk, like they could really smell. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't right. Uh, the world seemed different, like a bit off. Um, peter pentagor described as like almost like the matrix you can see the code yeah. of our reality it's a bit different everyone who came back felt like their life had improved or their their view of themselves and the world around them had improved dramatically they, they felt very much more at peace they saw the whole purpose of being here to be to connect with others like not to fight with people and our you know what i mean like they just had a better feeling of the world and how it should be Um, they saw the society that we created as being the BS that it is. Like, it's not the way that we're supposed to live at all. This is of our doing. Um, and the whole point of life is just to make it better, not just for yourself, but for others around you. Um, and a lot of them came back with, if they had psychic gifts, those gifts were enhanced. Um, they could be, they were more empathic, more telepathic, you know what I mean? They could just sense like Peter, Mm -hmm. my colleague, Peter, um, was always very good at knowing when spirits were around and he said it was like someone turned open the, the tap right up and he couldn't he saw them everywhere and he almost had to learn to rein that back in again or else he'd just go nuts
0: yeah a lot of people who go to the other side come back mediums yes
2: yeah i think almost everyone i spoke to did in some way come back as a medium or definitely more in tune with that the the other side of the of life the paranormal
0: So, you know, since we've talked and I've done a lot more interviews, (laughs) um, you know, one of the things that I have found is like I used to think of paranormal investigation, UFOs, quantum physics, the occult, um, near-death experience, out-of-body experience. I thought of all these things as separate phenomena. Now I don't. What about you?
2: Oh, it, no. <laughs> it's all connected. A- absolutely. And when I started being an investigator, uh, my gosh, it's been almost 20 years now. Um, I thought the same thing, too. There's ghosts and there's Bigfoot and there's UFOs, and all this stuff is just a part. And I think a lot of people still think that, which is why paranormal investigators don't seem to get along with ufologists and, and the cryptozoologists don't seem to like hanging out with the UFO people or the other. You know, no one likes to, mm-hmm. the, to be in that the camp together, but we have to be. That's why with our team here in Canada, Canadian Paranormal Foundation, we investigate everything because we do believe it is all somehow interconnected. You, you're you having, people are having alien abduction experiences and reporting seeing Bigfoot on, on this spacecraft, right? If it is even a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, there's paranormal Bigfoot encounters being reported where oh, they I just don't... sort of disappear in front of people, right? Um, yeah, no, this is all connected somehow. Um, and, and that's what I think makes it so fascinating. And I think more people who have an interest in this need to think like yourself and, and see it that way and look at all of them together and find the commonalities um if if we're gonna take the whole field of paranormal investigation to that next level.
0: How much sleep do you lose and like trying to put all this together in your head? I've had to stop because I don't wouldn't sleep at all.
2: <laughs> I feel fortunate I spent most of my days working with it, <laughs> so you know what I mean. Most of the days spent doing that. So when it comes time to shut down, like if I eight o'clock at night, I'm like, nope. And I turn the computer off. I turn the phone off. You know, I go hang out with my kid or my wife when I watch something, and I just forget all about it, uh, I, or I try to. But it's it is all consuming. It really is, and it becomes like even if it's it's something like not your day job, it's your mm-hmm. life's work, right? Like like Ralph Sarchi always talked about when he was you know, the work that he did. You know, as a as a demonologist and paranormal investigator, that was the work. Even though he was a cop, being a cop was the job, mm-hmm. and what do you what do you do the paranormal was the work. And that's kind of how I like to look at it. And I think it sounds like yourself. You know, it's the same thing. This, this what you're doing right now is the important stuff.
0: Um, is what matters. It is. It is. Do you ever get worried about you know because of what we do and because of sort of fringe? we looking at sort of like. It's kind of like looking over the edge of consciousness, you know. Like we're, we, we go out to as far as we can in our consciousness and we look down, you know, at everything else, all these other possibilities. Do you ever worry about, you know, just being sucked into an endless hole, hole of madness? Oh, oh, for sure. And I have a buddy of mine, Sean, who's, who's more
2: of a skeptic. I'll mention stuff to him that I've seen or, you know, experienced. And he's, he's very much a believer. He just doesn't want to believe without hard evidence. Like he works kind of in a law enforcement capacity. So for him, evidence is something you could take into a court of law and hold up. Um, but yeah, you know, I was explaining the other day how I saw something moving around inside my basement, and I, my, where I live is haunted. I've had stuff go on here, and we've investigated. And I just messaged him, and he's like, "Oh, that's probably just a sign of your encroaching madness." And sometimes I wonder about that too. I have these experiences where it's just like, especially when I'm alone having them. Uh huh. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> like, I went on vacation recently, and I, and I, I swear I woke up at like you know three o'clock in the morning in this cabin in the woods pitch black but I, I just knew I wasn't alone like mm-hmm. I just knew it and I did not want to open my eyes even though I knew I wouldn't see anything but just what if I suddenly did because it's pitch black and it's the wood and there's no you know what I mean and it's just like in my head it's like just think about something else <laughs> just maybe it'll go away and leave you alone <laughs> but at the same time you wonder maybe I'm going crazy at the same you know at that moment too
0: yeah have you ever wondered the other way that 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 people that we view as insane or eccentric or whatever label you use maybe they're perceiving a more real reality than we are because they're using less filters
2: oh i i for sure like like when um i've had relatives like grandparents and an uncle who towards the end of their lives they lived into their 90s were talking about seeing stuff all the time and even my mother you know was in her last few months of her life was talking about people in her house that she knew weren't there but she saw them and i think that's just that um the filters coming down like when we're young as kids mm-hmm. we see everything you know and I, my son would always talk about things in the house or he'd wake up as a baby crying and just pointing to the corner of the bedroom where it was dark and i couldn't see anything but he was just like there you know what i mean and so i think we all have that and then you know you start going to school and they start talking you know they, they kind of educate that out of you and if you go to church some churches they'll even church that out of you and, mm-hmm. and and stuff and you get caught up in life and you get married you know it just in things it just filters it out and then you get to a point at the end of your life where they just come down again and you you start seeing it so i, I believe there are people who are eccentric i'm sure it's amongst like the homeless populations right or people with severe addictions there i don't think they're all just going crazy because of the booze or the drugs or the life situation. I think they're seeing things. And I think, especially if you're in a weakened state mentally, that will also push you, you know, over the edge a bit too. So yeah. And, and then there's also the eccentric folks who talk freely about it. And I used to think they were nuts, but I was like, no, no, they're, they're, they're in tune with what's actually around us all the time. And I, I think as a species, we used to be all of us more in tune with it when we didn't live in cities with millions of people and we we're surviving in smaller tribes on the mm-hmm. plains. And every day was a fight for survival you relied on that tapping into that more just on a day-to-day basis. It wasn't unusual. And it's as we got more organized and more civilized that that just started to fade away. Or uncivilized. Yeah. Or maybe we're becoming less civilized now. I Definitely everything I've seen in the last few years makes me think we've become way less civilized as a yeah. society. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: you
0: know, yeah. and I think about, the, you know, like, like, you know, back, you know, when people were still tribal, the person he went to the most for help would be a shaman who relied yeah. on getting assistance from the things that we are not able to perceive, but they can. And I think
2: it's interesting how shamanism's coming back in a okay. really big like you can take courses to become shamans. I, I know a gentleman who did that. Um he has his own podcast, his name's Phantom Phil, and he's done that now and is working very hard on shamanism. And I think it's fascinating, and, and people are using as the shamans did then, things like natural herbs to alter mm-hmm. their consciousness to see these things. So if someone, you know, decides to take mushrooms and is talking about this wild experience they've had and things they've seen, you can't discount it as just them on a trip. Like you know, they're they're actually tapping into something, right?
0: Yeah. And, and earlier, like like you mentioned, people with addictions. I wonder sometimes if people with addictions are using the substances to try to block out. Whatever it is that they're seeing or feeling, because they're missing that particular filter.
2: I, I, you know, and I've wondered that myself. Even when I, I mean, it it sounds, it's a bit of a ritual, but after every investigation that we do, I I come home, and even if it's like one in the morning, and I I have a tequila <laughs> because it just it's a, you know after doing like my old little grounding and all that, mm-hmm. I have a tequila, and I find by the end of that, it just turns just off enough that I'm not uh, not. Experiencing and it's funny you mentioned that. I watched the co- the movie Constantine the other night, the one with Keanu oh, yeah, Reeves. Yeah, and he has his friend who's can hears voices all the time, and he just runs his hand over newspapers and he sees things, and that's what he would use is alcohol to stop it. Hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting, to, just to see that because, like, yeah, I, I'm sure that people are used, turn to addictions, drugs, whatever they, whatever their poison is to stop hmm. to act as that filter and stop it from coming through. And I know myself, I've
0: done it. Has your sensitivity to psychic ability increased since you've started working in this field? Oh, absolutely.
2: Like, I know as a, um, and I never thought of it. I always like to keep psych, like, we even as investigators, we try not to rely on psychics. Yeah. Um, when we've used them, we will kind of do an investigation first or kind of do our bit, and then we'll bring a psychic in and see what if what they talk about jives with what we're what we've experienced so far and what evidence we've gathered. Because if I, we feel if you bring them in first, they're going to influence what you think and hear, right? Like it's still very suggestive work. Um, but yeah, I've, I, all my life, I've been able to feel when there's just something different around me. You know what I mean? Or something mm-hmm. else was there, even though I couldn't see it. Like as a kid, like I was afraid of the dark far more past my adolescent years than most people are. Like I could feel it even into my teens. I could just tell sometimes when there's just, I was not alone in my room at night, or if I went into a place where there was something around, and even um, even now, I'm just very sensitive. You know, more so now. But even as I was a journalist and everything, I was very sensitive to what was going on around me. Um, I had it. My editors would say I had this gift. Um, if I needed to find a witness to something or, or a source to interview, I would know just when the right moment was to go out and try to get a hold of this person. Even if I didn't know who the person was, like if there was like, you know, I'm writing a story about a crime in a neighborhood and they'd tell me about it in the morning, like, are you going to go? And I'm like, no, not yet. I'll take care of these other stories first. And then it'd suddenly be like, now's the time you go to that neighborhood and start knocking on doors. And I would inevitably always find someone who was a witness to something or who had the information I needed to finish the story. Wow. Um, and now that's just, I just use that all the time. So you were, you were relying on intuition even before even before I knew what it was. And now I just know I'm very empathic um, and not just in terms of feelings, but just sensitive to the environment around me at
0: all times mm-hmm. and seeing dangers in things too. I've noticed. Do you think um, the reason some paranormal investigators are able to capture more activity than others is because the actual investigator is bringing the spirits along with them. So like you have a haunted investigator Oh, I'm sure of it, you know, or, or you're just very much like a totem force for spirit.
2: Yeah. Even if you're not haunted yourself, there's just something about you that draws them to you. Peter, like every freaking time we go out, <laughs> he gets good like EVPs or something, right? Or even photographs. Um, and when he and I work together, we, we do very, we, we do very well. Like we t- together, we work really well in terms of getting activity. Um, and there are other people that are, that we've investigated with. that will go out and get nothing, even at a place where we've got something. So we know something's around, but they just don't get it. Maybe they're just a little bit skeptical, a little bit closed-minded. Maybe they're scared. You know what I mean? And so they just, their fear keeps it away. Um,
0: there's a variety of reasons for it. That's another thing, too, is being open. I think people that are afraid and have their guard up, the spirits are not going to want to interact with them because they, the spirits themselves don't want to disturb that person and make make them afraid. So therefore they'll go more towards the person who is open and looking for them and is going to you know, more accepting of that experience and that type of mindset.
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Right. It's like, um, and that's what skeptics always say. Well, of course you believe in ghosts and of course you're going to see them. Right. But it's like, no, I think if you are just open, you don't even have to believe there's people that have these experiences and they have them all the time. And they just, will just like, Nope, Nope. I don't want to know. I don't want to see it, but they have these experiences. Um, I mean, I've even known, we recently interviewed a gal when we went to a town called Oliver and she works at the museum and we were doing an investigation there and we, we got some, some, you know, we had some communication with spirit and she's had stuff happen the whole time she's worked there, but she's just like, just scared enough that she's like, I know this happens, but I just explain it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because I don't need to get that freaked out. Um, but she's aware of what's going on. She just tells herself it's something else and admits it.
0: Hmm. What is your take on Ouija boards? Are they safe?
2: I've never had a, I shouldn't say never had a bad Ouija board experience, but I don't see them. I think it's like anything you use in in this line of work. If you take the right precautions, you're going to be fine. It's just knowing how to use it properly. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some people who believe if you use a Ouija board or spirit box, you're just automatically inviting an evil. We don't, we don't buy into that at all. Um, but I think you need to, just like anything, take the necessary precaution as you use it. Um, and, and keep in mind, it was developed by Parker Brothers. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know True. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but if something's like, you can use dowsing rods. You can use like, you can put like um, gemstones on a string and you can, almost anything you can use to communicate. Yeah.
0: yeah you with can spirits, use, right? They can you manipulate. Can pendulms, they you can use. Yeah. Do you Flashlights. Have, do you have a favorite method off off? of communication?
2: Uh, we we I, I like to just use good old-fashioned like digital recorders and have mm-hmm. just a good old-fashioned EVP session. Um, we do use the Spirit Box as well. We try not to rely on it solely because you are picking up AM, FM radio frequencies and you could very much power of suggestion, right? Um, we're, we've we done stuff like the Gansfield experiment, and that's the one where you've, you cover your eyes, you've got the light, and you put yeah. the... Yeah, uh-huh. we've done that and had some pretty good success that way too. Screening we've done screening like we've been trying kind of everything and we're actually shortly going to try to have a good old fashioned séance just to see if we can get that
0: to to work in our favor as well yeah, yeah. i've been through a few séances i never have i think it would be wild it is fun it's it's interesting you know it wasn't what i expected obviously i don't know about you know my my take on it was i'm not 100% sure about the information that came through but I don't know. I'd have have to do more to really make a judgment on seances. And that's our thing. Like, Peter's
2: done them before, so working with him, at least I know I'm not going to be, like, BS'd by Mm -hmm. it. We've worked together long enough, right? That was always the thing back in the day when seances were all the rage, right? There's people that totally took advantage of that. And almost gave them a bad name. Like, they would stage stuff throughout and move tables and had people hiding in back cupboards banging and making goo, you know form out kind of thing so but I think if doing it in an environment where you're working with doing it with people that have done it before who you work with I think would be a lot more convincing to me if anything happens at all
0: Um, yeah that that was Houdini's thing for a while was debunking seances
2: yeah didn't what's his name Sir Arthur Conan Doyle even do that the guy who created Uh Sherlock Holmes he went about that and Harry Houdini was big on that too
1: Hmm.
2: yeah So,
0: I mean what do you think Do do you think that you know that that the paranormal parapsychology field has overcome that stigma because of the frauds that happened during that period of time.
2: I think there's still a good amount of stigma there. I think I think the biggest culprits in in kind of not giving it credibility is the bazillion TV shows out there, like reality shows on Travel Channel and and Discovery Plus. And I love to watch them. I think it's great to watch them, mm-hmm. but. Because enough of those, enough people who have been caught doing those shows have been proven to be hoaxes for whatever uh-huh. reason. And I think anyone who starts off doing that um, is doing it with the right reason. They've been investigating. They've done enough to get attention. People, the producers come along and let, let's take, make a show about this, right? But there's this, it must be this intense pressure every week mm-hmm. to find something that yeah. it happens, right? But the more it happens, the less credibility the field gets. Um, and then someone like Zach Bagans, who I think is a brilliant businessman, I don't know how credible he is as an investigator. I mean, you know, I just don't. And I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never worked with him. But I just it makes you wonder, because he's getting possessed by demons every week. You know what I mean? And then he opens his haunted museum, and then it just, yeah, you just kind of think that's causing the serious field enough strife right now that that's why people don't give it still the attention and the the, the credibility I think it deserves.
0: I... I completely agree with you about him. You know, I think, you know, he's been great at marketing. But, um, but at the same time, I, I do think, you know, he's probably done some harm to the field. Maybe. Oh, for, for, for sure. And, and, and I, he started out with on Ghost Adventures when it was still very
2: serious, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah what when it was, when was legit. I think that's
0: when Nick Groff left because it was starting to go that way, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he, he definitely, uh, I don't know. You know, the other thing that I think when I watched that show, too, versus, like, you know, paranormal investigations I've gone on versus, like, what he does is provoking. Yes. I mean, I I don't think I, – I mean, personally, that's just not my favorite technique. I, I think going into a place and trying to provoke the spirits to become angry to communicate or intimidate or whatever it is – you're using to arouse them just to get evidence i don't think that's the right way to go about it i don't think that helps a situation i think it makes it worse well i i
2: agree we we do not provoke ever um we look at it as how would you like it if someone came into your house and started yelling at you <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean how are you going to react to that and you're going to react you're going to get mad and you're going to tell them to get out or hit them <laughs> you know what i mean and so we don't do that. We always go in with the utmost respect. We're not there. We're there just to see if we can communicate or, or get some form of proof by trying to communicate to prove that something's going on. Um, so we can take it back to the homeowner or the business owner or what, or what have you, right? We're not there to... I think the people that go in and provoke, there's a lot of them on YouTube. They're just thrill seekers. They're just trying to get a rise out of something and they know it looks good on camera. And I and I think that's, that's why they do it more than anything else. I think so too. I think it's... In some ways, I think it's a cheap way to get evidence. Very cheap way to get evidence, right? Yeah. And and I I mean, there might be some satisfaction if suddenly you saw someone doing that and have them like a safe drop on them from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then there's your evidence, you
0: know, and you got what you deserve because you're being a dick, (laughs) you know? Because, Because the reality of ghost hunting is that you're sitting in the dark with you or some other people. And there's not a whole lot going on. No. <laughs> it is and not it, like it, what you see in that half hour show. There's like 12 other hours of just sitting around. In the
2: dark. <laughs> Sometimes it's lit. <laughs> you know, just waiting for something to happen. And you get very excited when the smallest thing possible happens. When you actually like, you know, I was reviewing some, some footage today and audio. And it's like we were trying to ask for, is there anyone here? And we got like a yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, can you give us a name? What is your name? And we got Frank, and it was the same voice, mm-hmm. and that's just the most exciting moment ever. But if that's all, if that was the culmination of twenty nine
0: minutes of television. Right,
2: people would be really, really disappointed <laughs> that that was it.
0: Yeah, and yeah, they don't really realize like what happens in like, the other. Twelve hours of an investigation, or the
2: six times you went to that same spot before that, and absolutely nothing happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, it requires patience. Is it is a, it's definitely, um, I don't know, a labor of love, because, it, you know, like I know a lot, a lot of people out there will say, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it, and it take them to do it. And they're like, what? We just sit here? It's like, yeah. Yep, this is what we do. And we need you to go over your audio within
2: two weeks. Yeah, ha, <laughs> you know, yeah have, have, that. have fun listening to static for eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> or when you've shot your whole investigation, you've set up, we've done this, you set up a laser grid in a room where there's activity supposed to happen, and you've set up a camera just to record there so you can go do other stuff. Then you've got to sit and watch the six hours of just a laser grid footage hoping to see something. And your eyes literally feel like they're bleeding because you can't look away or watch your phone because you, you might miss something, right? Mm-hmm. That's it, it's. But at the same time, that, that like that's the point of the the work.
0: That is the job. That's what you put into it, right? Like that's it. I mean that's that's what it is. Is it? It's not what they would see on television.
2: No, no. And we never write in the middle of something, go and listen back to the EVP and then get something right away. You know what I mean? Like they do that a lot on shows. Like, yeah. I think I heard something. So they push, they push pause and go back and listen. Like, oh my God, we sure did. No. Cause you, you're going to miss, you might miss something else. Like you do it the next day. You know what I mean? Or like, whatever. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's not what's on television. And that's something I tell people all the time. And we've had so many wannabes come out to join us and they come for one investigation and we never see them again. Mhm cuz if it wasn't the sitting around doing nothing for 12 hours it was that they needed to go over all their audio evidence and report anything back within like 2 weeks cuz the homeowner wants to
0: know if something happened. Yeah. Um what is the uh most disturbing piece of evidence you've ever found? Um it was it was almost
2: a year ago uh we were investigating a an alleged haunting at a residential home. Here in the same town where I live. And it wasn't so much disturbing but startling is that we were doing a spirit box session in this hallway where this activity is supposed to happen. We're asking questions and you're getting stuff back, but I mean we're you know, you're kind of recording it at the same time. And I remember going back and it's like when we, we were asking, you know, tell me your name. The name Jason came back in my voice.
0: <laughs> I've heard of I, this happening actually. Oh yeah, no, and I oh,
2: phone Peter, like, Peter, you gotta hear this. Like sent so email it to him. He was at work and he's listening, he's like, it's like mate
0: he's english right mate
2: that's you and i'm like i know right <laughs> it
0: was just but the chill goes down your spine like it's just it's startling that's pretty cool so what do you think that is you think there's a spirit version of you popping in from another dimension to haunt you or maybe i have to communicate with jason from earth 12 i don't know like
2: it was just or maybe it was something mimicking me i know i've talked to some people who take a more religious standpoint, mm-hmm. and they said, Well, that's the demonic and it's messing with you, and you've now been marked or whatever, right? But I don't I don't really buy that. Right. Um so but you- Yeah, it, that just started so many questions to it, right? Like it was mm-hmm. but it was
0: it was wild. And that was just shocking. In twenty years that's never happened to me. What is your take on a demonic? Do you think that demons exist? Do you think demons are evil from hell and are here to destroy the human race? Or are they just an ancient form of energy that has existed here forever. You know, and like that last one is the one I lean most towards. I'm not a
2: religious person. Like I grew up in a Protestant family and I've kind of flirted with Catholicism and and I think the concept's great. Um, But I'm not religious and the work I've done so far, and I'm not meaning to offend anybody, um, suggests to me that we create a religion because of the paranormal as a way to try to explain it and make sense out of yes. these weird things that were happening around. That that's my that's just my take from twenty years of investigating and researching. And especially while writing the near death experience book. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's others that, that believe in that bit. And there's, there's people that don't and I, I that's fine. But I've never seen a traditional demon you know what I mean? I've never encountered someone who's possessed. Peter is an ordained work is an investigator for an ordained exorcist out of Washington state. He's been doing that 10 years. He's the guy that goes and deems does gets all the data to deem whether there's a need for an exorcism. He's maybe had one case in 10 years where there could have been a need for it. Um, so I would say, but I know that there's good forces out there and that there's bad forces out there. So maybe what we do call a demon is that like you said, it's just a negative bit of energy that's been around for as long as the planet's been around, much as there's sort of a good force of energy that's been around for as long as the planet's been around. I definitely know things can uh, you know can give people nudges. I saw that enough in my 10 years as a journalist where I primarily covered crime. The good people suddenly just losing it and, and doing horrible things to people. Um, so I definitely think there's forces for good and bad out there. But I don't really call them a demon. I would just call it negative energy and positive energy more than anything else. How about angels? Yeah, and, and I, I think that's the same thing. I, I mean, there's definitely been moments where great good has happened that you just can't explain, right? Or, or you get like really helpful insight for something that helps you solve a problem. And I would say that's more of the positive that positive energy just chiming in and helping you out or it's it's your guy you know I, I definitely believe in like spirit guides that we've all got other spirits that are there tagging along with us maybe the relatives that have passed on what have you that are helping you out um i think it's just really easy to call it an angel or a demon you know what i mean that's just a, we've it's a, it's a very common term that we've created which is easy for people to understand yeah if that makes sense
0: yeah a lot a lot of it is just linguistics that's for sure yeah, you know, I mean, just like in the paranormal, you have ghosts, some places you have jinn, some places you have fairies, some places you have gnomes, some places you have, I don't know, Wendigo. Yeah,
2: but you it's know. all the same kind of thing, right? Like that, That's just how I look at it. And you, it's good you mentioned, too, the different terminology from different parts of the world. It's amazing how many things happen all over the world that are similar, but they just are given a different, different name. Bigfoot's a great example of that oh yeah huge every every culture on the planet has like a man beast, right an ape-like man beast It's just we've just labeled it differently,
1: mm-hmm. but they
2: all still are very similar you know in, in their presentation and how they behave um, I, What I find interesting with Bigfoot is how depending on what part of the world you're in or what part of even the country you're in, they behave differently. Which is why, even though I I lean heavily towards Bigfoot being paranormal, they almost like have different tribes, right? Like down in sort of Florida, where it's more the the skunk ape. Yeah. They're much more vicious and violent, whereas in the Pacific Northwest, they're much more, their fur is more kind of brownish black, but they're much more, seem docile and Mm -hmm. less threatening. Um, Yeah, I find that kind of
0: interesting. And I don't know how I can explain that. Yeah, I just went to a, a Bigfoot festival over the weekend, and it was great listening to the speakers. That would be who was there? Like who was speaking? Um, uh, Paul Barth- Barth- Bartholomew and Stephen Call and a, few, a bunch of other people. Those are the nice. the bigger ones. Um, but even them, they they now tend like a lot of the old Bigfoot researchers. They, even like like Ron Moorhead, you know, they all now lean more towards a connection of not being less of a cryptid and more of a paranormal or some combination of both.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe it is It is a flesh and blood creature with supernatural abilities, right? Like, there's definitely got to be that component to it because how else do you explain the tracks that disappear, like, right in the middle of someone's yard? In the middle of, you know what I mean? They just disappear, them being seen around UFO activity or just being able to, you know, having them on a, on a, heat vision camera and they just disappear in front of you like yeah. it's and no one finds bodies um, yeah yeah, it's, it's got to be more paranormal something paranormal in
0: my mind what do you think Bigfoot is do you, do you think that it's something related to UFOs or do you think maybe Bigfoot is just kind of like in the same league like the demons but it's just, a, just this old archaic spirit that's like a caretaker of nature. You know?
2: I I lean towards that because that's at least at least where I live our our aboriginal tribes definitely believe that. And it's just one of many such yeah. beings out there in the woods, right? So yeah, I see it as like a bit of a protector um or a guardian of and I think it reacts differently depending on how you approach nature and respect it or show disrespect for it. It behaves kind of accordingly, right? And I and I do think just from what you hear, like, I think there are some of them, like any being, some of them are more good and some of them are maybe more, more like vicious or violent. You know what I mean? And sometimes it depends which one you might happen to stumble across kind of thing. Because you definitely hear people having terrifying Bigfoot encounters. Like, you know what I mean? Or where people have even been ki-
0: apparently allegedly killed by them. What do you think of, the, what is that um, that story like the of the Russian hikers, the hikers in Russia? That, that you know, some people say that you got attacked by a Yeti. Oh, but was it a Dave Loft Yeah, Dave Loft Lof Pass or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
2: that that's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> Why not? And it, it, I don't know. Like, it, it sure... The way the bodies were found, it sure suggests some kind of violent attack, um, which could have been a Yeti. I mean, Russia has its stories of a wild man, you know, out, out in the woods too, right? So... That could definitely be it. It's like the, um, what's the one the, uh? this is where my brain's going to jam out on me, with the hunters in the cabin that were attacked by the Bigfoot. And they were throwing rocks yeah, and stones. Yeah, I forget what it's called, like
0: Stone Canyon or something like
2: that. Or Ape Canyon Ape or something Canyon, like, yeah. like the Ape Canyon incident. Same thing, kind of, except those guys got off a little bit better. I yeah, they just they threw rocks at the house. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get torn apart or ripped out of their tents. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, that could be, you know, that could have been definitely some kind of wild man attack on those poor hikers there in Russia. Like,
0: it just seems that way. Because no one made it out alive. Did lot. Did someone survive? No. No one did. No, nobody. Well, nobody one guy, either. one person left before they arrived to that point. One person That's went right. back. And I do think that person might still be alive. I don't know. It's yeah, alive. I'd be They're curious.
2: Old. And then why did they head back? Like, yeah. what? Well, I think they got hurt. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, though. There's certainly that's a that's a good explanation for something that's definitely one of the, the bigger mysteries of the 20th century.
0: Mm-hmm. Paranormal wise, anyways. It is. It is. Definitely <laughs> really interesting. What do you think is the best Bigfoot footage? Do you still think it's still the uh, Gimlin Patterson video? Uh, I, like, you know, like we even did an episode about
2: the Patterson Gimlin film. I just, there's this, like, I want to say yes because it's just, it's that iconic Bigfoot footage Mm -hmm. but there's just been so much doubt thrown on it over the years especially (laughs) lately you know what i mean and then when one of them kind of screwed the other one out of rights to 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 make money out of it and it just i don't know um it's hard to find i think really good bigfoot footage these days there's so many hoaxes too that you automatically when you see you just kind of want to go (laughs) meh you know you know what i mean like it just i don't know how about you? Do, you? do you have one that you kind of can set aside or do you still hold on to Patterson-Gimlin? I,
0: I think that's the best proof that we have. I think it's legitimate. I believe, I, I mean, I haven't talked to anybody who's ever met Patterson, but I, I know people who know Bob Gimlin mm-hmm. and uh, they believe him. They believe that he's telling the truth. So, and at this point, you know, he's old. So, you know. If he was going to come out as a hoaxer, I think he would have done it, and he hasn't. He and plus, hasn't,
1: the video, yeah.
0: plus the video footage itself, one, there's some things that make it different. One, it's a female Sasquatch, not a male, which is interesting because how many female ape suits are you going to go out there and rent at the store? I don't I'm think gonna, I've ever seen especially any especially like back then, like 1960. I'm going to say zero. I don't think you're going to yeah. find uh, an, an ape costume with hooters. No <laughs> it's just not <laughs> right, right. You know? and that is the one thing that does that makes me not want to just go hoax and, and the other the uh, other thing is that the the way the tendons move in the leg as as it's stepping forward looks very authentic I don't does not look like a fold to me in, in any type of fabric it looks like a muscle.
2: And and apparently there's more to the footage. We've just seen like the the best part of it. I I think there's supposed to be additional footage that that is out there, which I'd love to be able to see that Mm -hmm. and see the whole thing in its entirety. Cause I think that would, for some people really put an end to doubts that they might, you know what I mean? One way I think it might sway people definitely one way or the other. Um, Yeah. I mean, as someone who loves like, I mean, that was for me as a kid that the Patterson Gilman film was like,
0: gold right it was wow that's
2: real when it was on the news and stuff and you saw it like on unsolved mysteries like wow and i think it just is you know i suffer a bit like i do approach all this still with a a bit of skepticism just because i don't want to believe everything outright that i kind of feel too bad that sometimes i let that go in with that with that footage right because it is such if it's if it is real it is amazing and no one has got anything close
0: yeah at least i mean I've seen some footage that was taken of the skunk ape that looked pretty good. Uh I forget who took it. I actually had him on. He was a guy from he was on Monster Quest.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: I know I know which one you're talking about. And and that one was good. Um, you know, Ron Moorhead's collection of the sounds, the Seahara Sahara sounds, I think is also really interesting because it doesn't just sound like whooping and howling. You hear like this chatter of an actual possible language.
2: That that stuff's amazing. Like that and it almost gives you chills to hear
0: it because you're it feels like very much you're all eavesdropping on a conversation. And one of the other things that I also kind of like is this kind of intersects with some of the ideas with national parks too. You know, like could these national parks have been set up in order to conceal the existence of of Sasquatches, UFOs, and a lot of this other paranormal stuff.
2: Well, and it, it does make you wonder, like, I mean, there's the two, the whole, the books, you know, the National Park Disappearances books, the, the, the Missing 411 mm-hmm. stuff. And that's a theory I've heard bantered around, and it does give you pause. There's one, um, Small Town Monsters did a documentary of American Werewolves, and they talk about this park out in, in you know, the eastern United States, where it very much, there's a part of the park where there's just tons of activity reports of like dogmen and Bigfoot and seeing UFOs and stuff that kind of lend screens to it. And people have died in that part of the park. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah, it's because there are definitely like, it's like Skinwalker Ranch, right? There are definitely places where this activity is hotter than other places. And it would make sense then to, if the government knew about it and, and there's a, you want to believe in the conspiracy of it, they would want to cordon that off.
0: I, I think so. I I think, there's a whole lot to national parks. Um, you know, one of the things, too, that I've talked a lot about on his show was um, it has nothing to do with paranormal, really, but it's the lost cave of G.E. Kincaid in the Grand Canyon where he supposedly found the cave. He was a photographer, National Geographic, photographing the Grand Canyon. And he found the cave filled with like Asian and Egyptian artifacts that mm-hmm. had no reason to be there, you know. Yeah, that, and that's just that just makes you wonder, right? <laughs> like, and, 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 and you're not allowed to go in that part of the Grand Canyon
2: <laughs> anymore, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I, so there, I think there there could definitely be something to it. There's so many, and I think that's what's so fascinating about the subject matter is there's so many different ways this can go, right? Um, and it adds such a layer to life, like life in general. It makes it far more that, interesting,
0: and that's and that's what makes that's what this really is all about, isn't it? It is about the idea that there is more to life. For me, you know that, oh, that life you're... life isn't just about the things that I can experience with the five senses. Life is go, can go much deeper. It can be as deep and go far. As we want to with our imaginations and our curiosity, and that awakens I don't know the human spirit that's what the human spirit really is about is exploration no
2: it is and that's that's why you know we didn't just stay over in Europe that's why we got boats and travel that you know and the Vikings did what they did and Chris Columbus did what they did. This is just kind of that other you know people talk about like going out into space or exploring the bottoms of the ocean, which are both great ideas, but there's something here. Around like around us, you and I, even right now, mm-hmm. that we sometimes come in contact with,
1: yeah, and the fact that more
2: people us. don't want to know what
0: that is just just puzzles me, or they just dismiss it. Right. You know, and there's just simple questions that, um, like like just the idea of matter itself. Like when, like when we look at, um, atomic stuff and go at the, at its deepest level, we look at something and we find out that it's really nothing. So if everything is made out of nothing, then why does it all seem so real? Yeah, right? And even at the the quantum physics yeah. component of it. Like, like how does that happen? Like, like how does how, all this stuff exist? And when we break it down to its barest, most molecular level, there's nothing.
2: Yeah. Just these little nothing
0: yeah yeah <laughs> you know? and we, we haven't even got that it seems like the further we go the less we find it's so it, it's true bizarre. right
2: and yet then the more manipulatable that is you know what i mean because mm-hmm. if it is mostly in your head or just the way you're perceiving things and then, then you know, that opens a whole other can of worms what can you do that you just don't seem to think you can
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know what i mean like so that's what like, i love like with the matrix movie like, that was that whole movie is about that yeah right your reality is what you want it to be
0: Mm-hmm. and there's like, like, like such basic things like 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 what is matter what is time um, what is consciousness and awareness which is all, what near death experiences are all about so, so, so there's all these things that we have that we can explore basically without leaving our house
2: <laughs> yeah no you can you totally can right and that's why I think meditation is such a valuable tool mm-hmm. uh, for people who are really interested in it you, know, you can you can Depending who you talk to, you can you can go to the other side just by meditating and changing your own sort of mental state. You can you can go to that place like that the Scott Taylors have, have seen and been to. You know, um, you can discover past lives that you've had or, or parallel lives that you've had. Simply so by meditate, you just change your body frequency, just or your mental frequency, just enough. Um, and that's way beyond my area of expertise, but it's just uh-huh. stuff you come across where people talk about it, and it makes you just really go, "Yeah," <laughs> you know. And I've been meditating and trying to do that. And just to see what what it comes up, and i've gotten some really interesting insights into this stuff, and then other times i I can barely get past you know thinking about what i'm going to have for dinner, but
0: it's possible <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which I think is, neat. I can do it right just laying on the floor behind me <laughs> that's funny um so as you over the last twenty years what what is the um I'm trying to think of the right word for this. Uh I don't want to say experience. Like like, like what has, um what has it changed to do the most? Like like how has it changed your belief system and how you live? I believe like I've I've come to kind of appreciate
2: each day more. Like I've definitely kind of become like, I've learned to let go of a lot of things that would bug me um that used to bug me that most people just get annoyed by it just it doesn't matter like a lot of mm-hmm. the day-to-day stuff it, the bigger thing is now the have come to appreciate the relationships i have more with the people around me um and realize who are the good people to associate with and who are the bad people to associate with like i i don't have a lot of time i don't i, I don't understand you know a lot of people are just content to watch like you know um the kardashians and then the football game, and that that's their life. They work, and then they watch television and, and all that, and they get caught up in these things that aren't really that important. Um, when you start seeing that there is more to life out there, you get hungry to live more, and so you have a deeper appreciation for the, the time that you have, who you spend it with, and your outlook on the world around around you. Like I, after being a crime reporter, had a very cynical, jaded outlook on life. Yeah. And I, I was even investigating during that time, but since I stopped that about, which was all about eight years ago now, and sort of began focusing more on this, that cynicism has gone away mm-hmm. and has been replaced with being a lot more open-minded and optimistic about things because there is just so much more out there and where we go when we're done in this life or between the lives is just so much better. Um, and yeah, there's just a whole world of possibilities around us at all times. And it's none of it's worth being scared about, More, or most of it, it's not even worth being scared about. It just is. It's just like it's just like mm-hmm. turning the tap on and pouring a glass of water.
0: So looking back now, you know, on your life as a, you know, a crime reporter, like I'm sure you've seen, you know, dead bodies and you know people shot, stabbed, raped, all kinds of horrid things, right? How does um, being a paranormal investigator in now where you're at now? And you look back on that part of your life how does that um, mer like not merge but but what is your perspective now looking back on that stuff like like do you think that 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 people are just motivated to do these horrible things out of you know greed and lust and things like that or do you think there's a, a bigger picture involved in those type of crimes and we shouldn't have to, that they're just meant to happen. They're part of the show. I think there's a little bit of that for sure. Like I I definitely believe
2: um, that each of us kind of has a purpose and a place in life Mm -hmm. and there's a path we're supposed to walk. And I think every stage of our lives happened for a reason. Um, So I kind of look at my time there, even though it was, there's a lot of unpleasantness I needed to kind of go through that as a person just to kind of just aid my experience now. Um, and I think there are definitely there's there's moments there where it's just these horrible things happen just because people aren't using common sense or they're just not paying attention and sometimes just bad crap supposed to happen. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. that, but there's also moments where I remember interviewing a gentleman um, who was who was out of doors and he was at a thrift kitchen at Thanksgiving for getting you know to get turkey dinner. He was de- one of the nicest people I met. I interviewed him as part of that story. He was a super nice guy. Um, very appreciative of what he did have, which wasn't a lot. And he was, you know, laughing and joking with all the people around him. Less than a week later, there was a murder, a really horrible murder. Some guy, someone took, like uh, assaulted a woman, took a liter wine bottle, glass wine bottle, and smashed her face into a wall. Like I could see the wall, the blood was around. You could see the outline of her head, where her head was because of that. And then she could follow the trail as she's like bleeding and bloody handprints on the walls. Terrible stuff. And then she was murdered, and it turned out that that gentleman who I'd interviewed at the Thanksgiving Thanksgiving lineup was the one who did that. Uh. <laughs> and that has always made me wonder if that guy might have just been nudged somewhere because he was vulnerable. like it was one of those moments where even though I I'm not a religious person, I thought there's, there, there's evil out here somewhere, and I'm sure there's evil people, but I'm sure there's something else like the, those ancient negative deities we talked about that can push someone. Cause how does someone go from being that seemingly good to bad? And people argue, Oh, he just went on drugs and had a bad trip or he just, when he gets really drunk, you know, he, he gets that way. But I see all those things as those just open the doorway, right? Alcohol's an amazing truth serum uh, <laughs> uh, for people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe like you say, like, you know, he takes the drugs and the alcohol to, I'm just speculating. Um, to try to tune that out but maybe he just wasn't successful that time
0: maybe maybe right i one of the things like the alcohol too is is i know for me i, mean, I haven't drank in a long long time but it was a disassociative for me it would make me disassociate with myself mm-hmm. which allowed me to be much more reckless than i normally yes. would be if i'm sober
2: yeah, and, and I know I, some people get a lot more funny, you know, and have, they're just a good time. And then there's the people who are the downright mean drunk, right? Mm-hmm. And that says that's probably sub that's probably more who they could be, you know, than anything else. And then there's moments where people just go completely; they're almost like different people, completely different people.
0: But then, then it makes me wonder, like, who is that person really? Yeah, well, all, and that's, all, that's, they're like they're all, all these things, and you know, how, how do you condemn a person as? Been mostly good, and then does one horrid thing, and it just goes. Yeah, I don't know. Confusing, or you know, it's not black and
2: white. No, it's not black and white. And and I think you know that anything then that's what the years as a crime reporter showed me. That things aren't black and white, and I think that perception goes to to the paranormal itself, right? And that's why mm-hmm. I you know I I always hesitate because you know religion will quite often put like you know. Paranormal bad, God good, <laughs> you know, and that's it. And it, 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 that's that's the line in the sand. And it's not that simple. Right. Plus, it's not that simple. I don't know, there's something
0: paranormal about God. Well, <laughs> wow. Right. Say, right? I mean, it's very like, paranormal. Like, like Wouldn't you say, say that God is paranormal? <and> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus was an
2: exorcist. You know yeah. what I mean? If you really want to go down these roads, right? You well, know, like, he cast
0: all those demons into the pigs and sent them into the ocean. Absolutely. Yeah. That's making, very paranormal. making wine out of water and walking on water and healing the yeah. sick—they're all the things that we talk about. Are all ba- prophecy? Bible, that's why
2: I look. That's I, I lean that you know they created the Bible and their story of religion to make sense of all this stuff going on around
1: them.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I agree. I don't, like, I don't know if they made it all up. Or if they were documenting stories, like where uh, you know I think it's just a combination of a lot of stuff that's in there. Some of it actually happened. Some mm-hmm. of it's metaphor, you know, and I don't know, maybe some of it actually is prophecy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, exactly, right? I, I think that it's a very much a, It's an having
2: read it, it's an interesting book in that sense. It is this interesting mix of like truth, truth and metaphor, and then speculation. Mm. And it's just curious to see how that speculation or, or as you say, prophecy is going to play itself out, right? There are people who believe right now that we're like... We're in these end times right now, you know, with what's happening in the world around us. Um, I don't, I don't believe that. I think we're just going through a transition period as, as people.
0: I think so too. I think this, it's a society, just, right? you know, we're here to learn things. Uh, that's what I, I believe. I believe that, you know, and that's something I didn't believe prior to this podcast. Doing this podcast and doing all this stuff and talking to all, all the guests I've had, you know, I I sort of just looked at life as like, all right, it's just a random thing that happened, but now. I do think that life, you know, we're here to, we're meant to learn things, we're meant to experience things, and it's supposed to make us grow and become stronger as spiritual beings. Uh, You know, whether I'm successful at that, I have no idea, but I, I kind of believe that's what the purpose is.
2: I agree, too. And I just add the one thing, too, is that even though it can be hard sometimes, we're also here to, to make life better for those around us. That's right. Yeah. In terms of treating them fairly and how you'd want to be treated and, you know, not condemning them because they think differently, feel differently, act differently than you. Right. And that can be the hardest, hardest part. And if you look online, people just sort of suck at that, um, <laughs> you know, which is unfortunate. And that's carried over into the real world, too. But I think we've got to be, you know, I have to remind myself that several times a day that, no, no, just be. If you lead by example and just be a better person, and treat people better than
0: even they seem to think they should themselves should be treated, well, loving each other is a huge lesson that we need to learn, and yeah. and that's one of the things. Like I think more difficult times like it is now is is just a better opportunity for us to learn that. Exactly, and that that
2: there's that's, if you think that well, what is the point of this? Maybe that is just the one point, right? Is just to
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, man. It has been a pleasure having you back on. I hope you don't wait two years again. No, I was just
2: going to say, like, no, no, let's. We need to. This has been fantastic. We got to do this again, like you know, and, and sooner than than twenty twenty four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we both might not be here then, so
1: we should do it sooner. Yeah, you know? we definitely
2: should. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I'd like that very much. Yeah. Any time you want to, you want to talk this stuff. I'm always up for it. Like you, like you said earlier, the brain's always working on it and yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't sleep at night anymore. No, it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, where's the best place for everybody to find you? You're, you're sort of like all over the place now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can find like a lot of like the books, um,
2: the three books, which are, you know, Dying Light, which is the newest one. And then I Want to Believe One Man's Journey into the Paranormal. And I Want to Believe An Investigator's Archive can be found on Amazon via Beyond the Fray Publishing. Um, a lot of the work I do, like the reality series, we want to believe. You know, and other shows like Hunting the Haunted can be found on the Paranormal Network on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Facebook, our group, uh, Canadian Paranormal Foundation, if you just type that in, you can find us on Facebook. And then I, I'm on, you know, Instagram at Hewlett72. All right.
0: So I have the links to all those, and those will be included in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. And awesome. go buy your book, check out the YouTube channel, and, uh, I don't know, keep the interest going. That's right that's that's why we
2: do this, right, and we put this content out. It's not just for entertainment purposes. We try to keep people like you and I and the others who do this this work want to just get it out there so people think
0: yeah um, yeah if if my show makes one person think and helps them improve their lives, then it's all been worth it exactly. their life will improve and that will improve somebody else's life and that life will you know it just has a ripple effect it does, and that's that's what makes it so great. Fantastic. Keep at it. You too, man. Well, thanks for being on. And just hang on for a moment while I play the outro. Thank you for listening.
1: Recording stops. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable 20 at gmail.com. he's also on facebook twitter instagram and linkedin you can buy t-shirts coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast click on the merchandise link at the top of this page www.everythingimaginable2020.com by the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.